you're listening to the Pomerado Christian Church Sermon Podcast. Thank you for spending time with us today. If you're a weekly listener, welcome back. If this is your first time, we're so glad you're here and hope you consider subscribing. If you're in your car, on a run, doing things around the house, or working out, and want to connect even further and take next steps with us, visit pomerado.info. Now, enjoy this week's message. Good morning, everyone. Uh, It's so good to see those of you who are here with us in person, and it's so good to have those of you who are joining us online. So however you may be joining us, wherever you are, in person, online, maybe you're watching or listening on demand later, welcome. We're so glad that you are here with us this morning, or whenever you're watching. Uh, We're glad that we could spend this time together diving into God's Word and seeing what He has for each and every one of us. Now, I want to, uh, as Michelle mentioned, we're uh, continuing on in our series called The Content Line. In a, in a world in which we're surrounded by tragedy, difficulty, heartache, heartbreak, what does it look like for us to find joy, peace, and contentment, even though everything around us seems to point in the opposite direction? We're going through the book of Philippians throughout the summer, recognizing that Paul, while in prison, the Apostle Paul, while in prison, wrote this letter about how to find joy and peace and the content life in the midst of difficulty. But before we dive into our passage today in Philippians chapter 1, what I want to do is take a moment to um, acknowledge and recognize um, that this is Father's Day. So I want to just start off. Can we uh, just give whether you're a father, you're a grandfather, you're a father figure to someone, someone who pours in uh, to people, uh, we just want to give you a a moment to acknowledge you and celebrate you. And so uh, let's give a round of applause just for fathers, father figures, everyone who pours into people. And recognizing that on a day like today, that um, what often happens is... uh, Maybe there's some part of us that we're celebrating Father's Day, some part of us where there's other emotions that we experience. Maybe some of us didn't have a great relationship with our father. Maybe some of us didn't have a relationship with our father at all. Maybe some of us want to be fathers and that hasn't happened yet. Maybe some of us have a broken relationship with our kids or maybe some of us are mourning the loss of one of our kids. And so there's a lot of emotions that come into a Father's Day moment. But if I could just um, take a moment, hopefully, to acknowledge that, that there's a lot of emotions, but then also to acknowledge that no matter what emotions you face, you experience, or what this day brings about for you, to know that you are deeply loved. You are formed, created, shaped, molded, and deeply loved by God our Father. And so no matter where you're at in regards to what Father's Day means or doesn't mean in your life, know that this day and every day you have a Heavenly Father who loves you more than you could possibly fathom. And I hope that that encourages each and every one of us this morning, recognizing how vital that relationship is. Our relationship with our Heavenly Father is everything. So I would ask... Um, is that as we get ready to see what God has for us, uh, will you join me in a word of prayer so we could seek our Heavenly Father to see what it is that He has for each and every one of us this morning. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for each person who hears my voice right now, whether they're in person um, watching here, whether they're in person watching online, maybe they're on demand listening or watching throughout the week. But God, I pray that wherever people are and however they may be joining us, that they would 
know that they are loved by you, that somehow, Holy Spirit, you would speak in a way that is so clear about the love that we have and can find in you that it could be a life-changing day for many people. Lord, I pray that as we dive into your word, that I would decrease, that you would increase, that you would speak in a personal, powerful, impactful way to each and every one of us. We love you, Lord, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 1, verses 18 through 30. We're going to close out Philippians chapter 1. As I mentioned in the beginning, uh, this uh, series, we're going through the content life and going through the book of Philippians throughout the summer. Now, the sermon title today is called According to You, and we'll explain why that's the title in a couple of moments. But for many of us, there's an opportunity that we have to share what's important to us, to show people what matters, that our words, our actions, what we post, what we don't post, what we say and how we live is, is an example to people. It is something that people look at. And for many of us, if we follow Jesus, if you're, on, if you're following Jesus already and you're in that relationship with him, people will look at what you say, what you don't say, what you do, what you don't do, and that will be a witness to them, and it could have positive impacts, and it could have negative ones. That all of us are witnesses, that all of us hopefully will point to Christ rather than to ourselves or to something else that we find to be more important if, the, if we're in that place. Now, one way that we do this, it's a very simplistic way, right? And I'm not going to like take, I'm not going to do a diatribe on social media at all. But I will say that our social media profiles is an easy way for us to kind of, someone to get a glimpse of us. So here's mine uh, on Instagram. Uh, you can learn a couple things that are important according to me. Uh, the first is that clearly I don't post very much because the second post is from Christmas. So that gives you an idea. Um, if you read the bio, what I try to emphasize in my own life, and I put this to remind myself, that I want to be Abba's son. I want to be God's son first. I want to be a husband to my wife, Steph. I want to be a father to Shaylin and Elise. And then I get the honor to be a pastor here at Pomerado Christian Church. But if I rearrange that order and I mix that up, then so many other aspects of life will be out of whack. So putting God first, wife, kids, church, friendships, all those different things— that's another thing. Another thing that you see is that um, I had a class assignment a year ago about how to create like a social media thing, which obviously I've done great at a year later. Um, but, you know, so a few of those posts are specifically relating to a class that I was taking. And in the bottom right one, you can't quite see it, but it's an image of me when I'm standing in front of thousands of people at my previous church doing a spoken word that I had memorized to celebrate Christmas, that it was the gospel moment, it was this powerful moment in the midst of this presentation, and I forgot my lines. And it was one of the most embarrassing moments of my life. So what better way to just acknowledge my embarrassing moment and saying, hey, this is one of the most embarrassing moments of my life. Would you like to see what that's like? Click on my profile to find out more, right? So just recognizing that you could find out about someone, what they say, what they don't say, what they believe, what they don't believe, what they value, what they don't value, really briefly, just looking at their social media. Now, it's not everything, but it's something. If you were to look at your posts, if you have social media, and you look at the first the most recent six or so posts, what would they say about what's valuable according to you? Is it about a relationship with God? Is it about your relationships with family? Is it about travel? Is it about activity? Is it about, I don't, whatever, is it about what movie you're watching, what show you're watching? 
what political party you align yourself with. What is it that people would look at and say, okay, I understand this person. Real briefly, after this snapshot of the most recent posts. Maybe some of you aren't on social media, which, good on you. Uh, and if you're not on social media, maybe look at your most recent text messages. What do those say? What messages that you're sharing, what do those say about what's valuable or important according to you? Maybe think back about your previous conversations with family members or friends. What would they say? What would that point to about what is valuable according to you? See, sometimes moments like this, we can kind of drift through life and we don't even necessarily acknowledge that what we show, what we say, what we share, what we post, how we act is such an important witness to saying what is valuable according to you, according to me. And so what I want to share is a, a, a short poem, a very short poem uh, that I found in one of the, uh, the Warren Wearsby um, commentator, a commentary, excuse me, about this passage of scripture we're going to study today. And here's what Warren, he quotes a source unknown, it's an anonymous poem, and here's what it says. You are writing a gospel, a chapter each day, by the deeds that you do and the words that you say. Men, read what you write, whether faithful or true. So just what is the gospel according to you? What is it that we value? What impact has God and the power of the gospel had on our lives? Because if we look and we say our social media posts, our text messages, our conversation, our phone calls, our relationships are no different having Christ at the center of our lives than they were previously, then perhaps we're missing out on the impact the gospel is supposed to have. Perhaps we're missing out on the life God wants for us. Not a, not a health and wealth gospel, prosperity gospel life, but the life that sees life and life to the full. The life where the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus came that we may have life and life to the full. What does it look like and what impact has the gospel had according to you? When you share, when people see your life, how has the gospel impacted you? Some of you aren't on that journey yet. Some of you are here and, and you haven't stepped into the gospel relationship with Jesus Christ, with God the Father. And if that's you, we are so glad that you are here with us this morning. And we hope that as we invite you into our journey, that hopefully and prayerfully it'll propel you one step further in your journey towards Christ. So what I want to do is take a moment to say, if we're looking at what the gospel impact is according to you, let's look at the passage we're studying today in Philippians 1, chapter, or chapter 1, verses 18 through 30, to look at what was the impact of the gospel according to Paul, according to the one who wrote this book while in prison, trying to encourage the Philippians to experience joy, peace and the content life in the midst of a world and a culture and circumstances that would point in the opposite direction. So as we unpack the passage this morning, we're going to notice that one of the first things that the gospel impact should have in our lives and how it should change how we live is that when we follow the gospel and we follow a relationship with Jesus, God is magnified in our life. God is magnified in our life. Let's read together. I'm going to start um, in verse 18, 
of Philippians chapter 1. Not all of it will be on the screen, so you could follow along in your Bible. You could follow on the Bible app. We'll highlight a few verses, but the whole passage won't be there because there are some times where there is just a great value to get us opening up a Bible, following along, or going and following along on your Bible app as well. So here's where we're at, Philippians 1. The first section says this, Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Again, remember, he's imprisoned, but he still has faith that God will use the negative things, the difficult things, the trials in his life to be a triumph in the life of others and for the gospel. Verse 20, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. The word exalted, as we look here, is, is the word that talks about this idea of magnified, of making something, like magnifying something, but pointing to God and having him be magnified. Now, there's a quotation from John Piper, uh, who's a preacher, and he says it this way, that there are two different kinds of magnifying microscope magnifying and telescope magnifying. The one makes a small thing look bigger, like when you have a microscope and you have to like do all the different knobs and whatnots. That's not their official name. Um, the one that makes small thing look bigger than it is. And the other makes a big thing begin to look as big as it really is. So the microscope is the one that maybe some people in your life don't have a relationship with God. And so their view of God is very small. They think of God as not powerful, not loving, any, any of these things. And you can look around the world around, you could say, it's hard. It's hard when you see so many difficult things going on that maybe we wonder, God, why aren't you doing this? So maybe people's view of God is small. When we magnify God with our lives, what it means is that we can help, again, to be clear, in real life, God is much bigger than we can imagine. But in someone's perspective who doesn't follow Jesus, their view of him could be small. So our lives can magnify God in the sense of how we navigate trials, how we speak, what we share, what we say, what we don't share or don't say, how we live, how we love, how we serve. All those things can make God bigger in the eyes of those around us. We could point to God in a way that makes him more real and more present in the way that we witness, the way that we share, and what we do. So that's like a microscope idea. But, but we also know, those of us who know and love Jesus and follow him and have a relationship with him, we know that God is far bigger than we could ever even fathom. I didn't have time for this. If you're a note taker or if you're someone that um, wants to look at a reference, a video, uh, maybe after service, there's about a four and a half minute video. Uh, if you type in on YouTube called Cosmic Eye, um, what it does is it shows uh, a, a woman laying down um, on this like grass field or whatever, and it zooms out all the way past like the, the, the known universe, not past the known universe because it keeps expanding, but all the way out very, very far. And then it zooms all the way back in, and then it zooms all the way into like the depth of a cell inside of her. In other words, it shows the idea of how big God is and how close he is. Recognize that he is the, the universe that keeps expanding, that is far vast, more vast than we could even fathom. He knows all those stars by name. 
And yet he also knows all the hairs, the number of hairs on your head. He knows how the galaxies swirl and interact one another. And he knows the emotions that swirl and are difficult in your life, the cries of your heart. And so God is so big that as a microscope will make something small, bigger, a telescope magnifying, that type of, type of exalting God means that we want to make something that is big and seems distant to people feel as close and as big as it really is. To recognize that he is far bigger and more powerful, more incredible than we can even put into words. Another video, if you're interested, if you want to type in Louis Giglio, is his name, G-I-G-L-I-O, Louis Giglio's uh, Indescribable. Watch that for about an hour, and it'll just talk about how big and vast and amazing God is beyond our ability to unpack here this morning. But the idea is, is that in our lives, are we magnifying God? Are we making him more visible to those around us? When people look at you, do they see someone who is living, loving, and acting as God did, as Jesus Christ did when he was on earth? Do they see a Christian, which was originally a, a derogatory term meaning little Christ, and yet it was a moniker that Christians we've taken upon ourselves because we want to be like Christ? Are we magnifying? Are we exalting? Are we making God more visible? And are we making him seem as big as he really is to those around us. But here, what it talks about, and, and one of the parts of the verse that strikes me is this, when it says, uh, verse 20, I eagerly expect and hope I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted or magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. There's an image here from Christianity Today from April of 1937. So Christianity Today is a, is a publication that you could still look at online now. It has a lot of um, good articles. But there was a paper version because, you know, they didn't have the internet back then. Uh, 1937. And there's a story that is on one of the further pages back. It's not on the front page. Um, and it's called, uh, I zoomed in, called As a Lamb to the Slaughter. And it tells the true story of George Atlee, who was a young Englishman who was engaged in the Central African Mission. He was attacked by a party um, of people there, and with him, he had a Winchester rifle with 10 bullets in it. So as they were coming, surrounding him to attack him, he could have very easily protected himself, defended himself, and many would have said, oh, well, he was right to defend himself. Yet, what he decided is that the work of the mission within that people group would be diminished if, as a missionary, he killed the people who were attacking him. He thought it would be better for the mission, for the power of the gospel, to let them kill him rather than to tear away from the power of the mission or the gospel to share with the people around him. They found his body in out of the 10 bullets that were in the chamber, all 10 were still there. He laid down his life and he magnified, he exalted God. He had the courage to exalt God. Yes, in his life, but ultimately also by his death. To say that no matter what I do in life, 
or even in my death, if it comes to that, can I say, I magnify God. I make him more visible, and no matter what comes my way, I want to make him more well-known to those around us. Continues on, verse 21 is a core verse in this passage. It's a core verse out of Paul's letters. And it talks about how not only is God magnified in the power of the gospel according to the impact of the gospel according to Paul, but also that Christ is the ultimate focus. Christ is the ultimate focus. There's, no, there's nothing else that matters in comparison to the importance of knowing Christ. He says it's simply and yet It's said simply, but it's not easy to do. He says it this way, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. To live is Christ and to die is gain. See, some of us might flip that that a little bit. We might say, I want to gain as much as I can here in this life. And then when I die, I'll get to be with Christ. So for me, we could say, some of us may say that, even if we follow Jesus and know him, we say, to live is gain. I can gain friends. I can gain memories. I can see my kids growing up and my grandkids. I can experience all these great things. I can have these great gains. And then when I die, I'll get to be with Christ. And yet what Paul says is that to live is Christ. That everything in his life is focusing and pointing and directing in the direction of Christ. And then to die is gain. Why? Because the one that he loves most, Jesus Christ, he will be able to experience in person in a way that he never could here on this earth. He'll be able to be with him eternity in heaven. Richard uh, Mellick says it this this way. To live as Christ must mean that Paul so totally wanted to glorify Christ that as long as he lived, everything about him was to point people to Christ. Andy Stanley has this, uh, he's a pastor in Georgia um, of a great church down there, and he has this verbiage of the principle of the path. It's a book that he wrote, and it's a concept. He talked about how it's direction, not intention, determines our destination. We've shared this before, if you've been with us for um, any amount of time the past couple years, and here's what the premise is. The idea is that direction, where I'm pointing, where I'm going, will determine my destination more so than my intention. So if I say that I want to go to Disneyland, and then I get on the 15 South, it doesn't matter how long I drive in that direction. My intention may be north, but if my direction is south, that will determine my destination. So what this means is that if everything in our lives, and, and this is not easy, this is much easier said on a stage than lived throughout the week, but if everything we do is pointing people to Christ, if Jesus is the one that we are directing and orienting our life around, then when we face trials, not if, when we face trials, we're still going to be pointing to Christ. When we feel lost and abandoned by God and forgotten by him. We'll be pointing towards Christ. Our intention must be aligned with our direction because direction, not intention, determines our destination. Paul wanted to so glorify Christ that everything he did on earth was about Jesus. Everything. That's a lot easier said than done. 
So the flip side is Melech continues. He talks about how death was a gain because he would see, Paul would see the Lord, enjoy him, and no longer endure the difficulties he was called to bear on earth. And so to live is Christ because everything was about Christ. Everything surrounded Christ. Everything pointed to Christ. And everyone around him knew his love for Christ. So to live was Christ. That was, he was the only ultimate focus of Paul's life. And then to die was gain because whenever the Lord called him home, the one whom Paul loved most, Christ, is the one that he would then spend eternity with face to face and enjoy him forever. The impact the gospel has on our life is that God is magnified. It also means that Christ is the ultimate focus. According to Paul, Christ is the ultimate focus of our lives. But number three talks about how others are prioritized. We don't follow Jesus just so that we can have what we want and live comfortable lives for ourselves. We don't view the gospel self-centeredly. We don't look at the world and say, as, as they did for many, many years, that the world or the solar system revolves around us. We realize that we revolve around the sun. So many of us will live our lives or be tempted to live our lives as if the world revolves around us rather than the fact that our lives, our world, and everything in all of creation revolves around God the Son. Here's how we continue it on in verse 22, and then verse 23 and 24 will be on the screen. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. What's Paul saying? He's saying, if I keep living here on earth, people are going to come to know Jesus. There'll be a fruitful labor. People, the gospel will spread. Lives will be changed. And yet he says, what should I do? I do not know. Verse 23, I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. And so he says, convinced of this, I know that I will remain. I will continue with all of you for your progress and join the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. But we're going to sit on verses 23 and 24 for a moment. I want to unpack a couple words there. Verse 23, the first uh, part talks about how his, he was torn between the two. The, the, the verbiage there in the Greek talks about... Um, that there's two sides that are pressing in on him, that both are impacting him. So it's less the idea of he's being pulled in different directions. It's more the idea of the, the desire to have fruitful labor and people to come to know Jesus is pushing on me and encouraging me. But the desire to know Jesus is doing so as well. So I'm feeling the tension. I'm feeling the pressure. I'm feeling that both are good. But yet he very clearly says being with Jesus is better by far. The kind of faith that reminds us that relationship with Jesus in heaven is, is going to be greater by far than even our greatest joys here on earth. It doesn't diminish our joys here. It just exponentially amplifies our joy with him. But this word depart has a few different meanings that I hope will maybe illustrate this a little bit better. This, it's the idea of when an army in the Roman army, when they're camped, when they would have to put up their, they would be camp somewhere, and they would put together their tents, and then they would depart to the new, next place. So they would depart, they would get everything together, and they would leave onto their next journey. It also could be used for whenever an animal had a burden or, or a yoke upon them, that those would be loosed, so that would come off, and so they'd be free to move forward. 
Lastly, it was used for a ship that was tied to the dock, and to depart was this idea of loosening, to loosen uh, the ropes that were holding it in order to sail to their next destination. All of those point to the idea that Paul has a work to do here. He's a soldier for Christ, but he works, he has stuff to do here. He's working and he's doing great things, but eventually his desire is to sail away or to have the burdens of this world taken off him or to set up camp and leave camp in order to depart to be with Christ forever. That that is his ultimate journey. That is his ultimate desire. And yet, he doesn't just do what he wants to do. Following Christ is not the, it's not a right to be selfish. It's not a right to have everything go the way we want, how we want it. And we know this. And we'll talk more about it next week in Philippians 2. But for our purposes today, I want to, the second part I want to highlight, actually, if you could go back to that verse real quick. The next part that it talks about is that it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. In other words, when we know and love Jesus, we have a relationship with him, and we know that we could spend eternity with him if we were to die at any moment. If we are still here, God is not done working in us to become more like Christ and through us so others may know Christ. That there is still a work to do for each of us here, friends. That God's not done with you. Some of you may look at that and be like, good, because I've got a lot of stuff that God, I have questions I need God to work through. And some of us, we say, God, who do you want me to impact? Who do you want me to prioritize above my own needs? Later, a couple, in next week, we're going to talk about how we don't seek selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, we consider others above ourselves. And then we look at the model Jesus lays out for us. And this verse introduces that. These verses says it's necessary for you, for others, that Paul stays. Who are the people in your life that it is necessary for you to still be here because they still need to know Jesus more? They still need to see God magnified. They still need to see what it's like to have Christ as the ultimate focus. Who is it in your life that God has put, whether it's in your classrooms, whether it's in your workplace, your neighbors, your friends, your extended family, who is it that God has placed you in their lives in order to magnify God, to follow Christ as your sole focus, and to put their needs above your own? Lastly, the last few minutes we have together this morning, What impact does the gospel have according to Paul? God is magnified. Christ is the ultimate focus. Others are prioritized. And then lastly, our actions and our words match. Our actions and our words match. Let's start in verse 27. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened or intimidated in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. 
Now we emphasize verse 27 here because it talks about conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And that word, a manner worthy, or the word picture that gets unpacked there is this idea of, of a balance. That is your life, you say you follow Christ, but is there a balance in your conduct and in your words? We say, I follow Christ, I love Jesus, I dwell, but do we put others above ourselves? Are our words seasoned with salt and uplifting, or do we tear people down that don't agree with us? Do we love people with our, we say we love people, but then our actions show the exact opposite? Is there a balance? Is this, have the scales been weighed properly so that our actions and our words are in harmony? Are we living in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ? Because many of us, and myself included, there are times when I'll say something and I really want that one thing to be true, but then my actions don't balance. There are times when I want to be this kind of person. I want to be able to do that. I want to be disciplined in this area. I want to be able to experience this. And let's say, let's just give a, a real quick example. Say, I want to get more sleep. I want to sleep better. I want to have a more healthy amount of sleep. And so if it's, you know, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, and I want to sleep better on my words, and then my actions are like, next episode of Obi-Wan, right? Like, it's going gonna, it's gonna to point to the direction of, do my actions actually match my words? Remember, friends, it's not just intention, it's direction. Not intention that determines our destination. If our intention is to love people with our words, but our actions don't prove it out, then our destination's not going to be what we want. And I don't mean heaven or hell destination. I mean the destination of pointing to Christ above all else will not be where we land. So I'll share a story from, um, uh, from a book I alluded to last week. It's called Jesus Freaks. And it talks about martyrs all the way from the New Testament, including Paul's very story, all the way through modern day. People have been persecuted for their faith. Some survived, many didn't. The story is shared here where it says a Christian prisoner in Cuba was asked to sign a statement containing charges against fellow Christians that would lead to their arrest. In other words, he said, they said, if you tell us who else is at your church, what other Christians you know, if you would tell us their names, then we will let you off better than, you know, than if you don't. But he knew he couldn't rat them out. He knew he couldn't do that. So here's what he says. He said, the chains keep me from signing this. And the communist officer protested, but you are not in chains. They're not physically in chains in that moment. Here's what he says. I am, said the Christian. I am bound by the chains of witnesses who throughout the centuries gave their lives for Jesus Christ. I am a link in that chain. I will not break it. Friends, he could have made that decision to, to tell, other, to tell the, um, the communists who the other church members were. And they may never have known. They may have been arrested but not known who it was that ratted them out. And yet, the decision he made when no one else was watching defined who he was and what was most valuable according to him. The decisions you and I make when no one else is watching are the ones that will determine whether our actions and our words match.
Are we living a life in a manner that is worthy of the gospel? Is there a balance? Is the scales weighed, are the scales, excuse me, weighed properly between what we say and how we live? I'm going to close our time together rereading that poem that we started off with that says this. With all the perspective of what we've just talked through, let's reread this again. You are writing a gospel, a chapter each day, by the deeds that you do, the words that you say. Men, read what you write, whether faithful or true. Just what is the gospel according to you? When people look at your life, do people say, oh, the gospel is something that just helps us feel better but doesn't change how we live? The gospel is something for after we die so we can go to heaven rather than how we live while we're still here on earth. Well, people say, oh, well, they say they love Jesus, but their actions, they don't match. So pulling the verses that are pulling the idea out of what Paul said, friends, what is the gospel according to you? Is God magnified in your life? Is Christ the ultimate focus? Are others prioritized over your own wants and needs? And do your actions and your words match? Are we living a manner worthy where the scales are balanced, that what we say and how we live are in line with the gospel? Friends, Paul wrote this 2,000 years ago to encourage people in a world that was difficult, tragic, heartbreak and heartache all around us where there's division and separation. He says, you can find joy. You could find peace. You could find the content life. Not the easy life. Not a life of comfort, but a life of contentment. When we have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That all the things that divide people, all the separations, all the things that might say, well, I don't believe this and I don't do that. All the things that could cause enmity and frustration between people and groups of people. All of us are united in the sense of our need for Jesus. All of us, when we're honest with ourselves, know our own brokenness. All of us when we're honest with ourselves, know that we want a relationship with the kind of God who knows all the stars by name and knows all the hairs of our head. The kind of one that knows how the galaxies swirl and interact with one another and knows the storms and emotions that swirl within our hearts. The kind of God who loves you so much that he sent his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. The kind of God who loves you so much and how deep the Father's love is lavished upon us that we may be called children of God. And friends, that is what you are. Let us pray. Father, I thank you so much for each person who hears my voice. God, and I pray ultimately they they weren't hearing my voice as much as they were hearing your spirit and your words speak to them clearly. God, I pray that each person who's in person, watching live, watching or listening later, God, that they would have a moment or have had a moment where, Holy Spirit, you spoke to them so clearly. 
God, I pray that as we look at Paul and we see how the gospel had an impact in his life and we could say we are so far from him or we are not like him or we don't understand, but God, we know that the words you, Holy Spirit, have inspired him to write 2,000 years ago can encourage and challenge and teach us today. God, that we too can experience joy and peace and a content life in a world that is anything but those things. May our hearts, may our lives, may our words, may our actions be focused on Christ. May we have the actions and words that line up and are balanced. And God, may we make you more well known to those around us by the way we live. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We want to be a church where people are changed by God to change the world. If you want to partner with us in this way, you can start by doing these two things. The first, if you haven't subscribed to this podcast, you can do that by hitting the subscribe button wherever you're listening so you can stay connected with us and we can broaden our reach. And the second, and this might be the most important thing you do, share this message with someone you know. And as always, remember you are prayed for, cared for, and loved. See you next time.